Hello, everybody. It's Julian Miner from the Spencer Group. Um, look forward to your listening and the next uh, podcast in our series. Uh, for those who don't know us, uh, the Spencer Group is a specialist headhunter in two practices, one of which is pharmaceutical technology and the other is commercial education, which is how I know Stefan. Hello, Stefan. Very kind of you to join us. Hi, thanks for the invite. For those who don't know Stefan Massoonis, Stefan is a highly entrepreneurial, internationally established commercial leader in commercial education, language and training. I've known him for 12, 13 years now when I first reached out to him when he was at Malvern House and supported your transition to Cambridge Education Group. And for those that don't know his impact at Cambridge Education Group, he took Stafford House to over 10 full-time locations globally and over 14 summer schools. He's then stepped out of that, set up his own business with a partner in Bayswater that is a very interesting international operation with over 20 locations, if you include summer schools and full-time centres operating across multiple international markets, both in English language and in career skills development. Is that a fair overview of your background, Stefan? Yeah, I think so. I mean, obviously, I started off a while back as an English teacher and got into sales with Malvern and then went into a kind of MD role at Cambridge Education Group for their language division. But yeah, Bayswater today is 10 year-round locations and about five summer camp locations. Yeah, so maybe 20 is a bit too many, but we'll get there very soon, I'm sure. Brilliant. What we're both keen to talk about today is actually running decentralised organisations, a topic close to both our hearts. So if I can start, Stefan, with the question, what inspired you to go decentralised for your company structure in the first place? What were the challenges that you faced during that transition process? Well, I think I've been working in a decentralised structure for quite a long time. When I joined Cambridge Education Group, it was the first time I wasn't going into an office every day in central London. Our head office was in Cambridge and I had a commitment to go and visit Cambridge once a week. We had a school, one language school in Canterbury and my head office was in Cambridge and I lived in London. So, you know, immediately I wasn't where the action was of either head office or the delivery was. And after six or seven years, you know, we grew Stafford House, which was the language division of Cambridge Education Group to 10 schools in three countries, UK, Canada and the US. And we had staff all over the place, sales team all over the world. So you had to live a very kind of decentralised structure. I remember at the beginning of the pandemic, everyone going, oh, these online meetings are kind of tough and I'm just getting used to setting up, you know, working on Zoom. And I've been doing it, you know, since 2010. Yeah, I know that we had a very similar story because we've obviously operated globally for about 20 years. We've been living in either earlier on, it was telephone and then you moved into Zoom and Teams meetings. And we were already pre-pandemic only in the office one day a week. So once you got to, you know, the the ability to go fully virtual was relatively easy. Did you see challenges? You run year-round centre, right? So how does running your central organisation in a decentralised manner reflect into the centres? You know, I mean, we have to build a huge amount of process and let's say communication process within our organisation to make sure that people feel part of the organisation. But I think, you know, when the pandemic hit, 
it was very, very important that at that point we had one school in London. So, you know, we were going in every day trying to plan how we were going to navigate this challenge. But very quickly through the pandemic, we added a huge number of acquisitions. And when I say huge, well, maybe, you know, I think we did maybe five or six, which is quite a lot. Some large historic organisations with legacy staff and some that were relatively small that kind of were for the first time joining something bigger, let's say. And so immediately you have to kind of think, how do we bring everyone together? And I think, you know, we were tasked to kind of make sure that our company culture was adopted across all of these acquisitions and all of these uh, geographies. And my business partner, co-founder James Herbertson, kind of led on that and put in kind of quite a lot of infrastructure in place to make sure that we could kind of work as together as one team. I think from my side, I was, you know, always trying to make sure that brand leads kind of with mission and values, the kind of keystones, let's say, of a business. And I think I work quite hard to kind of make sure that there's a brand every one that can get behind. But from a culture, I think that James has led on that. And that would be things like from recruitment all the way through to kind of departure, let's say, of someone from our company kind of being a values that led organisation. You know, we have regular video meetings. We're constantly communicating with our team via Teams and via chats. We have within our induction value sessions to explain how we work and how we like to work. It's something that we check during interview process. While people are with us, I mean, yesterday and today, we're conducting our air meets, as we call them. It's a platform where we get to do a quick overview of what's going on in the business. And then we do what we call, well, you might call it speed dating, but we call it speed networking. And every five minutes, you get to chat to another member of the company that you wouldn't normally be chatting to. And that's a great way of everyone getting to know each other and to kind of democratise the conversations that go on in, in the business. You wouldn't necessarily have that opportunity if you're all working in a big office. You wouldn't maybe have the guts to go and speak to the boss or I wouldn't go and speak to the cleaner every day. I mean, I should do, but, you know, I don't. And you have a five minute chat with any member of staff. And if it's someone you work with regularly, you kind of just skip them because you're used to chatting. I've done that. Yeah. How many people have you got now? Well, as of now, about 255 people. It's about 120 kind of non-teaching staff and the rest are teachers. And they're spread over five countries where we have infrastructure and teams and buildings, let's say. And then we also have sales team members in another maybe 10 countries on top of that. So it's it's very, very global organisation. Now, you've touched on a lot of these, but I like this like speed networking piece, the idea that everybody can speak to everybody. And it's and it's also very time short, so you can make it time impactful, but build relationships across a wider business. Have you got any other pieces that you have put in place to drive that communication and the cohesiveness across the organisation? Yeah, I think it's one of the areas that we're struggling with at the moment is that we have loads of Teams chats, let's say, between smaller groups of people. We have some very, very successful departmental chats where, you know, it's very gift heavy of people kind of congratulating them, particularly the sales and marketing teams and showing best practice, what's going on in the market and so on. But what we're really kind of missing at the moment is kind of almost like an internal, you know, messaging board for the organisation. I think we use LinkedIn a bit. You know, a lot of our staff are following us on LinkedIn and support what's going on and see what's going on. But I think we're still exploring different tools. Some that work, we tried Yammer, we're trying Viva Engage, which is a new kind of version of Yammer, but none of it kind of meets necessarily what we want. So we're constantly trying out new tools and seeing what quite works. But yeah, I think Teams is the key 
platform that connects us together and then the regular kind of organizational meetings where we bring different bodies of people senior managers or teachers or the whole organization at different you know time variables through the year how often do you bring the whole organization together online well, so the air meets probably, you know, supposed to happen every quarter. We've probably done, this is our third of the year. And then we'll do senior management across the organisation every month. So it really depends. I mean, we'd like to do more, but there's obviously a lot of communication going on locally as well that, that we're not involved in from a head office point of view. What do you see as the key advantages for being a decentralised organisation from a structure, employee productivity, job satisfaction, overall business performance? We took over a business called Eurocenters at the end of 2021, and they had a large head office in Euston, you know, in the centre of London, and everyone was oh, well. in the same office. And I worked for Cambridge Education. We had a similar kind of head office focal point before. When the pandemic hit, we realised that basing ourselves in London was a disadvantage to us from a cost point of view. It's obviously great from a talent point of view because you've got a bigger choice in London. But we kind of decided, how do we want to approach growing our business? We're now going to be much bigger as the pandemic finishes. And, and can we use this as an opportunity to structure ourselves in a very, very different way than we would have organically structured ourselves? I think if the pandemic didn't happen, we would have a large head office in London. But it actually gave us the opportunity to go, well, everyone's remote. What should we do? We have business in Cyprus. So we had the ability to employ people in Cyprus. We were quite impressed by the fact. I mean, obviously, I have Cypriot heritage, but I knew that most people in Cyprus who are born there do their education in the UK. Many, many people will go to the UK to do their degrees. So I knew that we could hire a pool of talent that were British qualified, that may have had some work experience in the UK, that were good communicators. Level of language was very, very good. Time zone wasn't too much of a challenge, but obviously rental costs in in Cyprus and employee costs were at an advantage to London. To be honest, anywhere is an advantage to London, isn't it? I mean, the challenge in doing that, I was probably going a bit too far off the question there, but the challenge in doing that is kind of how do you build teams from scratch without a, an existing, there isn't a massive international education sector in Cyprus. There are some very successful universities, but we weren't in that space, for example. So it's kind of how do you develop that? Luckily, we had some experienced staff in, in Cyprus for the language school that we had there, and we kind of co-opted them into the core business. And then we built teams around them. So now in Cyprus, we have a finance function, a HR function or people, as we call it, and an admissions function. And that gave us kind of a critical mass of team. So it wasn't loads of, you know, 100 people in 100, all working from home. What we thought would be good is to build a team and to build a culture. And we bought, we got an office. Not everyone goes into the office every day. So we still offer hybrid work. And some people go in two days a week, some people three, others like to go in every day. But there's a place that they can go. They can go out for dinners together and they can feel part of an organization, which I believe helps in retention, helps in culture and so on. So that's one example of kind of building back slightly differently to how we would have done more recently, we've opened up Cape Town. So we have a college in Cape Town, and that gives us the ability to employ people in Cape Town. We were working with a, an IT support agency that were kind of outsourcing the, our IT support to Cape Town. I'm like, well, why can't we just do this ourselves? So I was maybe paying London rates for Cape Town staff, and I have the ability to employ in Cape Town, and we were impressed with the, with the quality of people that we were dealing with. So we've built up a direct sales IT, and now we're building a marketing function in Cape Town. Same time zone as Cyprus, different yeah. skill sets, but yeah, good level of language 
good internet connection. We're not affected by power cuts because our head office is our, our school is in the central business district. So that you know there are these different factors that you have to consider when operating in South Africa. I think this decentralization is working because we have a mixture of people working from home. We have a mixture of working hubs where people can get to know each other. And they're also, those hubs are close to a, one of our businesses so that people can actually see the students that we're supporting and they actually can kind of see the impact of what they do. Gaining significant operating cost reduction whilst also diversifying the talent pool and diversifying your risk. Yeah, I think so. And and also just uh, when I used to work in the London school and even I do I did it yesterday when I was down in London, I'm like, oh, well, you know, you know, we need to do this in this school. If you go to the one building where you're also operating, you tend to pay that more attention. And that might be great for that school, but it's not fair on the rest. So to try and build hubs nearer to other centres, so in Africa and in Cyprus and you know, in other locations, I think it's fair as well. Can't all just be UK centric when we have a totally global organisation. No, that makes huge sense. How does the technology allow you to do that? Because if you think about it, as you and I were talking back even in the Malman House days, this would have been a lot more difficult to do. You've talked about some technology tools that you use. Is there anything else that allows you to operate seamlessly? I think obviously where we have got teams, we make sure we have the best possible internet connections, which is maybe the fundamental thing that you need is a reliable yes. internet connection. But yeah, I think just using the Office 365 platform tools, we SharePoint and all this kind of stuff. I think, you know, we, I don't think we're using anything dramatically different to any other UK based organisation, apart from maybe some of the communication tools such as AirMeet that I mentioned before. You've touched on this, but the other thing that is massive, and obviously we as a headhunter are very aware of, is how decentralised organisations are being able to use this to drive a increasingly effective recruitment strategy. Have you found the fact that the fact that you can have hybrid working, etc., has allowed you to engage talent pools in a much more geographically diverse footprint? Yeah, I mean, even this morning, I was having an interview with a new potential marketing staff in Cape Town who lives in Stellenbosch, and it's an hour to get into town. And her job at the moment is four days a week in town. And we've been offering a hybrid work model of two days a week in town. And that is attractive to her. So we have the potential of hiring an experienced marketer who wouldn't necessarily be looking at every day in the office job who we can offer something. So that's maybe just a hybrid that can be anywhere. But the decentralized model allows us to look into completely different markets as well. But yeah, obviously opens up a a broader talent pool to us but we also offer the ability if someone wants to go into an office every day they can so you're not ruling it out the bits that we have to be conscious of is how do you and i think everybody with a remote model or a decentralized model has to be conscious of is how do you bring up new talent how do you train young people how do you get them give them a working environment that's exciting for them and isn't just kind of working from home which isn't exciting for, let's say, a Gen Z. And I don't think we've necessarily solved that, but it's something that we're conscious of. And I think that we find is the younger members of the team like to come into the office more often and the and the, and the older ones who've kind of got the kids and, and other things going on. The home working model suits them. But I think if we were hiring totally remote people who didn't have an office to go to, there's a challenge there. But I think that this blend that we have kind of suits us quite well. We still have a lot of staff who are not near a school or, or, or a hub, I would say, but we do try and get them kind of working closely together with regional people as best as we can. But yeah, I think it's that that wider talent pool for sure. So then as you look ahead and you're anticipating the realm of decentralised businesses, what advice would you give other companies considering 
taking a similar approach? I think the biggest thing is probably trust. I think the old work model is, are people going to go to work on time? Are they going to, you know, are they going to be there from nine to five? And even in those environments, in my time thinking about working in offices, it's like, well, if you're spending three hours, you know, having a cigarette and talking at the cafe, can you really judge? So you have to trust people to work in that way. And you have to have transparency in the organization, not be making people resent other members of the organization that may be, you know, working slightly different time zones or time hours and so on. We have to really make sure that our team are focused on kind of outcome based performance, like do your, you know, achieve what we've told you to achieve. And that's fine by us. It's not whether you did it, you know, you worked 100 percent for eight hours a day or 80 percent for 12 hours a day. But just deliver the outcomes that we ask. That's the most important thing. And that's how you'll be judged. It's not what's it called, a time clock or, you know, yeah, you're not not, clocking in, you're not clocking clocking in. I mean, obviously, unfortunately for the, you know, or maybe unfortunately for the teachers in the classes, they have to clock in and they have to be there on time. And that's a different thing. But for the rest of the team who are not working with students on a day to day basis, yeah, it's about trust. I think communication is absolutely important and having those layers and not making sure that you forget to have that kind of cross company meeting and making sure that you've got collaboration tools where people can communicate constantly. The constantly thing is also a big challenge because Teams messages can pop up for 18 to 20 hours a day. And, you know, you've either got to have the you know wherewithal to turn off your notifications or not be bothered by them. But it does, yeah. you know, when you're in a global organization, challenges, emails come in all the time and forget emails, Teams messages. You know, you know, there's no hour of the day we don't get a funny GIF off one of our members of the team who uh, are doing something exciting and interesting in the organization. But, uh, yeah, I, I, I do think that I think it's about embracing it. I think the people that work for us love working for a global organization with colleagues all over the world world. We're truly global. I mean, in terms of even the customers that we serve. So in our 10 teaching locations, we have 100, we've had, we, you know, we've taught 147 nationalities this year, which I think That's is phenomenal. Brilliant. And you really believe that you're making connections. Let's say the mission of the business is, is so important to our staff. And I think we're helping people improve their lives, get the skills needed, the soft skills needed to make sure that they are prepared for the world of work going ahead. But also, I think one of the advantages we may have, but maybe not all organisations have, is we're also a social enterprise. So people feel excited about working for our organisation because for everybody that we teach in one of our centres, we teach an underprivileged child somewhere from where the students come from. And so this sense of purpose of being part of a global organisation teaching international students from 147 countries, but also that does good. I think that helps us create a very, very strong culture within our organisation. I don't know how repeatable that is for other people, but, you know, get yourself a social enterprise, start a charity, get your customers from all over the world and you'll be fine. Yes. I couldn't agree more whether you are thinking about whether this is decentralised, remote, hybrid. What I think it requires of a modern organisation is to have clear vision, clear passion, clear purpose, where the team is aligned. It makes the recruitment of people that align to the values of the business, as you pointed out, even more important than at any other point, because it's more difficult to drive that value into the individual by osmosis, because they're not physically Mm -hmm. next to people in the same way. So it needs to be present in all of those pieces. 
and communication, of course, so that it's transparent and people can see and know what's going on. But the issue with a decentralised environment, as you talked about, is the hubs feeling that they're being treated differently. But if you can really transparent, clear communication, a real true global team, then all of that can drive huge advantages. And as a social enterprise, of course, then you'll have people truly engaged in the fact that they know they're having a massively positive impact. It's one of the reasons we do so much for charity and other you know, uh, but my bits about clean water. It, you've got to have an organisation that buys into the fact we want to do something positive for the planet as well as what we're doing to have a positive impact on you know, pharmaceuticals and education. So it's a really interesting but brave model, I think, that you took on. And I think it's really interesting. And I say it about you and your organisation to whenever I am discussing you. You have been extremely entrepreneurial during COVID to put yourselves in an amazing situation now to take you know, the Gen Z education skills provision English language market in a new direction. But the creativity that you and your executive team have approached that with is, you know, I think, truly illustrated by this decentralised model. You've basically looked at all of it and turned most of it on its head. So, it's a, it's a very interesting time. What do you see from people that are looking at you and going, that's interesting, but what's Bayswater doing now? What's your 12-month forecast for 2024? How do you see your organisation moving forward? Yeah, so I think the first five years of our organisation was building up this network of centres, and we've predominantly been focused on giving language skills to international students. But our big shift, and it's always been part of our plan from the beginning, is to be a skills organisation that allows people to get credentials and soft skills without having to go to a university for a year. So we're giving short-term experiential education to high school students and to university-age students and up to mid-30s, really, the, experience, the opportunity to have an international experience. So the next phase of our business is to really broaden out our product provision while still delivering all the key services that a language school normally provides, which is like accommodation, airport transfers, a social program, giving people the opportunity to mix. But now we're broadening out our product portfolio to have short courses in digital marketing, international business, project management. These are one month courses where you go and visit a company, you do a project with people from around the world, you do a presentation. And so you're picking up these soft skills that are really important for your career without having to spend six months or a year abroad. And so, yeah, the breadth and broadening of our our professional programs and of our skills programs is kind of the big, big project for the next 12 months. Super. Very exciting times. Well, Stefan, yeah. thank you again for your time and your input. Thanks very much.